When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the weeks ahead of Tuesday's primary, thousands of New Hampshireites got a call from Joe Biden. Republicans have been trying to push nonpartisan and Democratic voters to participate in their primary. What a bunch of malarkey. Or, well, they got a call from someone or something that sounded like Joe Biden. Voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. Your vote makes a difference in November, not this Tuesday. If you would like to be remote. If you're asking yourself, why would Joe Biden urge people not to vote for him? Yeah, he wouldn't. That's not Joe Biden. New Hampshire authorities say that robocall was fake, likely an artificially generated impersonation, and possibly an unlawful attempt at voter suppression. So far, no one has been able to figure out who was behind the call. The voice to me did sound really convincing. That's McKenna Kelly with Wired. She's been covering AI and the presidential election. And to be honest with you, like, audio generation can sometimes sound a little mucky. It can sound like it's not really that person. But over the phone, you know, over voicemail, all of us sound like that. All of us sound maybe not so much like ourselves. There's no doubt AI will be a major player in 2024 politics. But what kind of player remains to be seen. So over the last year, um, as the GOP primary has run its course, uh, we've seen AI and its use in political ads. Uh, The Never Back Down pack that supports Ron DeSantis, they had been using AI to create fighter jets (laughs) in political ads, placing fighter jets where there really were none in this like um, eagle screech American patriotic (laughs) way. But this robocall that is purporting to be Joe Biden is the first that we've really seen audio generation, um, somebody pretending to just sound like a political candidate um, taking place in New Hampshire. This isn't the first time an AI has impersonated a candidate. This week, OpenAI banned a developer for creating a chatbot to mimic Democratic longshot Dean Phillips. And it's gone in reverse, too. Trump has repeatedly dismissed video of his verbal gaffes by claiming the real footage is actually AI. With this huge amount of AI-created content, people are having to learn another skill set. Like, we had already learned this skill set, right, about how to, you know, debunk a fake news article. And now we're in another process where all of that work seemingly is being a bit undone and people are having to learn everything all over again. So today on the show... In an election where anything could be fake, how will we know what's real? I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about tech, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. (laughs) 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So one thing I was thinking about, everyone's calling this 2024 is going to be like the AI election. But how is AI disinformation any different from the old disinformation that's still out there that we got used to, or maybe not got used to, but that we saw back in 2016 and in 2020 again. What's what's the difference? Is it worse? Sure. So looking back in 2016 and 2020, a lot of the disinformation and misinformation that everyone was all riled up about was, you know, social media based. It was people who might be pretending to be someone or just saying fake stuff on their Facebook pages or on Twitter and other places like that. And I think over the course of, what, eight years now, people have kind of somewhat learned not to take everything that they see on the internet as truth. Uh, Of course, you know, that isn't everyone, as we've seen. But I think AI coming into this and imitating people, political candidates, uh, all kinds of folks that, you know, would be your first party source of information is really hard to discount. Like I, as a Gen Xer, have always looked to like audio clips or video clips and thought like, this is the real thing. Like you read the article about the quote and then you go find the quote and then you're like, okay, that really happened. But now the quotes are being faked, the videos are being faked, and that's maybe more dangerous somehow. I think also, you know, it, what like you're saying with the primary sources of information, that is what we, even as reporters, go to. And so it's changing kind of this media landscape and this information landscape where now if something looks too good to be true uh, in a video, audio, image form, uh, you really got to, even as a reporter, and I guess now just as an average news consumer, you have to look at this video and be like, well, does this look fake? You know, does this person have six fingers, uh, which is a really big tell-all for AI-generated images. So it's this new kind of, people are having to learn again. It's this new era where AI has become extremely accessible. Ever since OpenAI really opened up its ChatGPT product in late 2022, the whole industry has taken off. And in doing so, you know, Google, Microsoft, all of these companies have released products that are so accessible to everyone. Anyone can do a Google search, go on YouTube and ask like for a tutorial on how to do this. If you go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, it's really easy to find an app, a free app maybe, that maybe not won't create the best image in com- compared to like Adobe and more, you know, higher scale products, but these are absolutely everywhere and they're very very easy to find. How easy are they to detect? Yeah, it's hard and I think a lot of folks, you know, 
it's really hard to do. And I think even the best AI companies, the ones that we know so much about, like OpenAI, have recognized how hard it is to detect fakes themselves. Like when we saw, you know, a lot of discussion around kids generating their school essays uh, through ChatGPT. ChatGPT offered a service to detect AI-generated content that it could have created. Well, they ended up taking that product down because it wasn't very accurate. So OpenAI's own products weren't able to detect you know, AI-generated content that well. And so it's very hard. So even if you can figure out that something is fake, even if the parties involved come out and they say, this isn't real, I didn't say this, there's also the issue of people may not believe that it's fake and because the they'll believe it's real because they want to, because they think whatever, they think Joe Biden says malarkey. So of course it's Joe Biden saying malarkey. So is that almost like a bigger problem? Yeah, I mean, that's something that we're just seeing in politics right now is people are so polarized that they are willing, you know, perhaps wanting to believe these things that are obviously fake. Even if that, you know, belief isn't genuine, they are maybe purporting to believe in it just because they want to, you know, spread this message elsewhere and maybe convince someone who maybe uh, hasn't seen it to believe it as well. The tension around AI in this election hasn't just revolved around disinformation and deep fakes. Even AI programs that candidates use for their own campaigns can be a problem. Last week, a super PAC supporting Dean Phillips, a Minnesota lawmaker who's running against Joe Biden in the Democratic primary, released DeanBot, a program that generated answers to questions from voters in the voice of Dean Phillips. Why vote for you instead of Biden? I'm running because I believe it's time for a new generation of leadership. I respect President Biden, but the country is calling for change. I bring a unique blend of business, nonprofit and government experience that equips me to tackle the existential threats we face and the affordability crisis. The bot relied on technology from OpenAI, and OpenAI ended up shutting down DeanBot for violating a rule against using its technology in political campaigns. These AI companies are not liking the idea of their products being used for political purposes. OpenAI has several policies banning people from using its services to create bots similar to DeanBot, its own products, basically allowing um, creating a certain bot to respond to questions that is just banned. So it makes sense why DeanBot got taken down. But OpenAI also bans people from using ChatGPT to create a bunch of campaign materials. So basically, what I can imagine somebody using that for would be to create a bunch of campaign fundraising emails. So yeah, those are things that OpenAI just blatantly bans. Well, why? Yeah, I think it comes down to liability. Uh, (laughs) What if a politician does something that makes the company look bad? Um, I think that's probably the main thing. How much can OpenAI actually enforce this rule, though? Because it's my understanding that they didn't know about DeanBot until the Washington Post, you know, published an article about it, and then they they shut it down. When a politician creates these products, they want people to use them, and so they're going to mm-hmm. publicize them. And when you publicize them, people like me and you in the media see it and want to cover it. And I think it's you know, it's that kind of coverage that brings the attention to it, to open AI in the first place. I would ask for comment, et cetera. There's this whole process that goes on. So I think when we're talking about bigger name politicians, they'll catch these things relatively easily just because of media coverage. But if there's, you know, smaller things going on that are underreported, I think it'd be very difficult for them to find them in the first place. Right. And I mean, it's possible to build a tool like DeanBot without OpenAI's technology, is it not? 
Sure. And so with OpenAI and a bunch of these AI companies coming out with these policies barring political activity, we've seen in the last like six months or so a whole new, you know, environment of political tech companies that have, you know, previously existed before creating AI products of their own. And so there is a uh, election campaign tech incubator called Higher Ground Labs. They just created a big grant program for companies that want to create AI-based products uh, for democratic campaigns. Uh, one of their related companies is called Quiller, and Quiller is creating its own large language model right now out of what they're telling me is the best uh, campaign fundraising emails that got the most money and got the most clicks and opens and allowing people to, eventually it's in its beta phase right now, to pay for this product this service and type in, you know, add in a bunch of their own candidates fundraising emails and then have a fundraising email come back out for them in a very short amount of time. Just to get back to DeanBot for a second, can we just, is it a good thing to be able to chat in, in quote, real time with a politician? Like, is that something that anyone actually wants? You know, I think <laughs> for me, I think it is personally a little silly uh, but it's something that a lot of campaigns and candidates are looking at outside of just like Dean Bot. Uh, Shemaine Daniels, who is running against Scott Perry in Pennsylvania, I believe, for Congress, she uh, hired a company that uses a voice bot named Ashley to make campaign phone calls to people in the district and answering questions about Shemaine's campaign and then her opponent. And yeah, so people are basically, you know, there are campaigns that are thinking that this is a really good idea. Now, for me, of course, like as a reporter, I think, oh, God, what could go wrong? <laughs> and a lot <laughs> could go wrong uh, with this. Like what could I'm surprised like DeanBot didn't say something, you know, outrageous. You know, are there people who are playing with this chatbot trying to get DeanBot or Ashley to say something terrible. Now, that would look atrocious for the campaign. And honestly, this earned media that they get for just creating this product in the first place uh, could turn real sour really, really fast. When we come back, is it possible to regulate this at all? So, what rules are there? Is there any regulation, rules, policies, anything um, in terms of AI being used in political campaigns right now? I have been covering tech for several years now. There has been very, very little regulation in the tech space, period. Uh, I think last year when we saw those ads, those political ads creep up with the AI-generated content, there was a little bit of a freak out. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has started these AI insight forums in the Senate where he brings together the best minds in AI, like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg in a room with senators to answer questions while they debate what kind of regulation they want. But so far, nothing has come out of that. The really, really the only pieces of legislation that we've seen have come from Senator Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota and Representative Yvette Clark in New York. And they have worked together on a bill that re would require, you know, uh, ads political ads that use AI-generated content, whether that be audio, video, or images, to have a disclosure at either the beginning or the end saying that AI was used in the process of making this ad. But outside of legislation, uh, of course, government agencies could do something, and maybe they could act a little bit faster. Uh, I think everyone right now is looking at the Federal Election Commission, 
they have been petitioned by this progressive advocacy group named Public Citizen to create rules requiring similar disclosures to the Klobuchar bill, uh, just you know, on a regulatory agency front. And they have so far been dragging their feet on that. In her reporting, McKenna reached out to another agency that could maybe do something, the Federal Communications Commission. She asked Commissioner Brendan Carr if the FCC had any plans to crack down on fake robocalls, like what happened in New Hampshire. And so the FCC has done enforcement on robocalls in the past. Really, this is their bread and butter, you would think, um, being like the people who regulate uh, telephone companies and the internet and all of that. Uh, But they have never been able to actually enforce anything related to falsities being, you know, communicated over political robocalls or AI generated stuff. In 2021, they were able to reach like a $5 million fine for this robocall series that was kind of which was probably the most similar case to this robocall that we're talking about today in New Hampshire, uh, where there was a lot of lies happening in this call. But when they were able to get that $5 million fine, it was because of the way the calls were placed, the technical ways. When it comes to actually the falsehoods and stuff, that's not something that the FCC is able to do. But but reigning in the use of AI, it's just not, it's not up to policymakers only. I mean, we talked about how open AI is trying to create its own rules and regulations. Do you trust more companies to kind of step in and police this like 2024 AI election? So late last year, a bunch of these AI companies, Google, OpenAI, et cetera, went to a White House summit where there was supposed to be this giant announcement about what the White House was going to do about AI. Uh And out of it came a bunch of voluntary commitments, is what they were called, where where they were basically promising the White House that they were going to, you know, create better ways to identify AI-generated content and do a lot of the things that lawmakers and experts want them to do in the first place. But if they mess up, you know, (laughs) if they were to somewhat somehow play a role in a robocall like this, there is no enforcement mechanism. We're just relying on their goodwill once again. Yep. And, And I believe it's my understanding, just reading through reporting, that Facebook and definitely Twitter, X now under Elon Musk, they've sort of eased up a bit on policing misinformation and disinformation since they got all hyped about it in 2020. Is that right? Sure. Twitter, now X, just completely gutted its uh, elections integrity team. So there aren't very many people, if any, left over there. Uh, Facebook, uh, of course, has done something similar. I mean, when when we've seen all the tech layoffs of the last year or so, the teams that would, you know, monitor disinformation have been largely gutted. So it's this election is really going to be a stress test for them as well. Oof. And also a lot of talk about AI um, and how to police this stuff is centered on watermarks, basically just requiring anytime AI generates an image or an audio or video, there's some kind of uh, watermark in there. Can you walk me through a little bit about how that would work and it, if it is happening or would work? Sure. So there's two types of watermarks for the most part. One is just the watermark that we're used to seeing, like if you go and get photos taken and your photographer sends them back without you buying them, right? There's that image on there that shows that it's, you know, you're not going to post something with somebody's watermark on it, that kind of watermark. But then there's also the watermarks that they, a lot of companies, I think Google is one that has definitely been working on this, that is just uh, a little piece of data in the metadata of this image that shows that it was created through, you know, AI. 
But <laughs> many people have now been able to use a different AI program to then remove that digital watermark. And so things are still in this phase of, I guess, trying to work this out in a way that actually is reliable and useful. But right now, it seems like more of an idea and a dream uh, than anything practical. Great. <laughs> um, so, I mean, in New Hampshire, the robocall in the end didn't really matter. But you could imagine in other races around the country come November, not the presidential race even, but other smaller races for Congress, whatever, that really do come down to a few votes. A robocall like that could could really have an impact on, on election day. Um, do, do you think that AI will have a real impact on elections this year? Yeah, and when I when I think about this, I, it's good to look at global elections that have already taken place recently. And in Slovakia, there was the presidential election, and AI actually played a really you know strange role in that. Where in Slovakia, in the last few days leading up to the election, there's been pretty much of a media blackout for the candidates. They aren't technically able to talk to the press or say additional things just in the you know last couple of days. And there was a AI generated audio clip of one of the candidates saying that he was going to ban beer. And now that does sound a bit outrageous, but it was put on Facebook. It went viral and they really couldn't say anything about it. Oy. It was left up to Facebook in the end to have to decide whether or not this was AI generated. And so you're <laughs> basically in that period of time in that Slovakian election, we all of Everyone was really relying on Facebook to be the arbiter of truth here, which is wild. When I look to November 2024, I get scared in those last few days of the election, right, where people don't have a lot of time to refute certain arguments, certain things being said, stuff that could crop up on social media. And I, if I was to guess, and I don't like, you know, just like looking into a crystal ball, but if I were to, I think that's probably where most damage would come this year. And the fact that the in Slovakia, the candidates couldn't respond because of a blackout, but maybe even if they could, maybe they wouldn't be believed, just like we were saying mm -hmm. before. And it does feel like one of the biggest issues here is just, it's just so hard for people to know what's real and what's not real anymore. Because a AI disinformation works in reverse, too. I was reading there's some instances where there's some audio clips of, of Trump saying, Trump things. It was in an ad from the Lincoln Project. And Trump, in response to the ad, said, it's fake. It's AI. I mean, that's kind of like along the lines of his fake news kind of vibe. Now you can use AI to spread misinformation going in the other direction. You can say real true things are fake or are AI. And people may believe you because there's so much AI. It's entirely plausible. Is that something you're thinking about? Right. And I think that also gets back to people wanting to believe things or wanting not to believe things. And at this point, our political environment is so polarized that, yes, I do think AI will play a really big role. But I also <laughs> fear that, you know, a lot of the damage has already been done. And this kind of technology could really just exacerbate a problem that we already have. McKenna, thank you so much for coming on. Of course, it was great to be here. McKenna Kelly is a senior writer at Wired covering politics and technology. And that's it for the show today. What Next TBD is produced by Paige Osborne, Evan Campbell, Patrick Fort, and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. 
TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back Sunday with another episode. I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you can catch me on Slate Money every Saturday.